Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In-depth conversations. Matchup breakdown. Everything a Steelers fan could want. This is fourth down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. And welcome in as we continue to ramp up for Steelers Niners on Sunday afternoon at Heinz Field. Don't call it Akersher Stadium. You are inside another episode of Fourth Down in the Steel City. Myself, Chris Mack, Josh Taylor on the other side, Greg Finley trying to produce this show and keep us in line somehow. And we're going to start off today with Sterling Bennett, 49ers access in your Odyssey app on YouTube from 95.7 The Game in the Bay Area. Sterling Thanks for taking the time to join us today. How you doing? I'm doing great. Looking forward to Sunday, 10 a.m. on the West Coast. Niners, Steelers, week one. Football's back. Let's get this thing rolling. Yeah, 10 a.m. on the West Coast. You know, we talked about this earlier in the week, and I don't think it's necessarily a huge deal because it's week one. And I think teams work around this now. They got 37 people on the training staff telling guys when to go to bed and when to take melatonin and adjust their body clocks and all that. But do you still believe that there's any kind of impact on a a West Coast team coming east for an early afternoon game? I think I would care more about it, say, week 13 through 14, if it was San Francisco going from the Bay to Philadelphia, then back to Seattle. But it being week one, these guys know what they're doing. They've had, what, two or three weeks of prep for this game, really, and they should be ready to go. Whether it was Pittsburgh coming here or us going there, uh, week one, these guys should be amped up, rested, and ready to go for week one. Sterling, let's talk about the elephant in the room that's no longer an elephant because it's probably (laughs) back down to the size of a gerbil. Nick Bosa signed, sealed, and delivered. The expectation is he's going to play, right? He's going to be in this game and on the field and doing what he does. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan said the only way Nick Bosa is not going to play if he's out of shape and has a beer belly. Uh, If you know Nick Bosa, he probably doesn't have either one of those two things. So he will play. Uh, We'll see what happens today and tomorrow at practice, how his body holds up. The last thing you want is a guy who's held out for the entirety of the offseason and preseason to come in and pull a hammy or pull an abductor or a quad. Um, so we'll see if a soft tissue injury comes up the next couple of days, but he's going to play on Sunday and going to be lined up against a pretty good Steelers offensive line. Yeah, we've seen a lot of improvements from, from that offensive line in this training camp and offseason in particular, Sterling. Dan Moore Jr. at left tackle held off Roger Jones, the first-round pick, who the Steelers traded up to get. Um, but I think there's still a lot of people that are wondering, like, what, what kind of test? Because the Steelers are going to face some serious pass rush tests these first few weeks. They've got Bosa. They've got Miles Garrett in week two on a Monday night. And they've got Max Crosby the week after that, I believe. Uh, some big pass rush tests. It starts, obviously, with a guy who's capable of winning Defensive Player of the Year and leading the, the league in sacks. But um, are, are, are they going to necessarily throw him into the deep end physically, Bosa? To your point, will be ready. I guess Kyle Shanahan expects, but um, mentally, are, are they counting on him to do anything more than just, hey, go to use a, a bit, an old Bill Cowlerism, rush the quarterback and simply just go get Kenny Pickett? Yeah, you know, we're not really sure yet. Uh, my mind also thinks of a new defensive coordinators in town and Steve Wilkes. How is Bosa going to implement himself into that system? 
Uh, but I will say this. When you're playing next to players like Eric Armstead, a phenomenal run defender, and Javon Hargrave, you guys know him very well, how great he is against the pass. Uh, having Nick Bosa just in the building, even if it's just on third downs and it is just rush and go get the quarterback, um, we, you guys saw T.J. Watt hold out and come in and get two sacks the next game. I wouldn't be surprised if Nick Bosa comes and does the exact same thing. Sterling, Chris, got, he had a, a good mention here about the new defensive coordinator with Steve Wilkes coming in. Of course, you mentioned Javon Hargrave. This is a defense going back to last season. Not much changed, especially with the personnel. These are most of the same guys, and they add Javon Hargrave to this group. They got a group of linebackers that I esteem to probably be, if not the best, one of the best with Fred Warner. And I, I'm going to be really shameless here and bring up a, an old Razorback and Dre Greenlaw who pick. But with a guy like Hafanga in the back in the defensive backfield too, this is a defense that doesn't just like stop people; they hurt people. They hit people. They bruise people. So with those changes we're talking about, is it that crazy to assume this defense is really going to look that much different, even though their coordinator has gone on to take a head coaching job? I understand D'Amico Ryans is gone. But will there be that much of a change as far as how they play defense? Rookie Jair Brown, third-round safety this year out of Penn State, said that he wants to join the hunt alongside wow. Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. Uh, one thing with this defense is they're coming in knowing they want to hunt quarterbacks and running backs and receivers, but bringing in Steve Wilkes, you know he likes to blitz a ton. Uh, we're going to see a lot of nickel cornerback blitzes with Isaiah Oliver, who Funga likes to play inside the box. And again, if you want to look for a certain change, this defense might be more aggressive when it comes to playing inside the box and trying to get the quarterback, but that could leave them open to – being hit over the top. And when you have George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, uh, the Pittsburgh likes to push the ball sometimes, and they have guys that can go up there and get it. Uh, if there is a place where San Francisco might be susceptible, it might be that 50-50 go ball. And George Pickens, one of the best in the league, so watch out for that on Sunday. Yeah, Sterling, I was going to ask you that. As we kind of transition into how do the Niners attack the Steelers, how do they attack a second-year quarterback? Look, here in Pittsburgh and amongst Steeler fans around the country and around the world – we're all hyped about Kenny Pickett. Five nearly flawless drives in the preseason. He's had that first full NFL offseason to get acclimated to everything. And he, it, it looks like he's used it as much as possible to his utmost advantage. He's gotten bigger, a little thicker, more ready to take hits. Uh, we saw his growth down the stretch where he was less risky in some of his uh, decision making. Uh, what is the, the the process then for Steve Wilkes and the Niners defense in attacking Pickett in this offense? Is it go after Pickett and don't allow the plays over the top like you just alluded to? Uh, or is it let's shut down the run, as so many teams did to the Steelers in the first half of last season, let's put eight in the box, take Najee Harris away, and then fine, if Kenny Pickett beats us, Kenny Pickett beats us, we can live with that, but we're not going to let them run the ball and control the clock. Well, I think there's two things that might hold the Pittsburgh Steelers offense back this year. One of them being Matt Canada. When you have a mobile quarterback in Kenny Pickett or somewhat mobile quarterback in Kenny Pickett, and you have, what, six total design quarterback runs last year, you're not utilizing your quarterback to his full strength. Uh, Kenny Pickett, known for the fake slide run for a touchdown back in Pittsburgh in college, um, utilize those legs. I don't think San Francisco is going to necessarily have to worry about that. Like We've seen them struggle against Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson in the past. Um, Kenny Pickett's not those guys, or at least isn't used like those guys are. Um, so I, I don't think the mobile quarterback of Kenny Pickett's going to be an issue with his legs. But I do think what Pittsburgh has is weapons that I think – 
much of the NFL underestimate. Um, my mind thinks of George Pickens playing against Lenore, a smaller cornerback. Pickens is a bigger body guy who wants to go up and get it. And we're talking 50-50 balls. Pittsburgh might be able to push against this defense. Again, you're going to have maybe a young player in Jair Brown playing in his first NFL action, Hufunga playing in the box, and you're leaving to Sean Gibson an older safety, but a smart safety, back to kind of clean up the rest of the things behind the, the cornerbacks. And when you're leaving a lot of younger players open to be hurt by an offense that has Deontay Johnson and Pickens and even a Pat Fryermuth, like – this team can be hurt over the top, but I would expect them to say, let's rattle a young quarterback early. Let's get inside his head. Kind of like how Tampa Bay tried to do to Brock Purdy last year. Let's hit him hard, hit him early, and see how he responds to it. Sterling, you use the word weapons, and we're about, what, eight, nine minutes into this segment, and we haven't talked about the weapons on San Francisco's <laughs> offensive. So let's get into that, because Chris and I talked about this earlier this week. Well, Chris and Greg talked about it, and then Greg and I talked about it on another podcast. You got three guys, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle, assuming that he plays. These are three guys that every team is going to struggle to stop. Even if an offense had one of these guys, an offense will struggle to stop them. But they've got three on the same offense, and it makes it really tough matchup-wise. And Mike Tomlin talked about it during his weekly press conference. He talked about it might not be as much about stopping Brock Hardy as much as it is trying to find the best way to corral Alex Shanahan's system and how easy it is for quarterbacks to perform in that system. But my question is this, we're talking about the weapons. We're talking about this offense and how good it is. How much of it is the personnel? How much of it is the system itself? Or is it chicken and egg where maybe the weapons make the system better than it should be? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. You have players like Debo Samuel and George Kittle who just look for contact. They want to run through a linebacker and run through a cornerback and a safety uh, thankfully, and no offense to the Steelers' defense, but your linebacking core truly isn't that great in coverage. Cole Hokum, Yolanda Roberts, and even Keanu Neal, depending on how they want to use them. If I was going to point to a certain player to have a big game this, this week, it's going to be George Kittle, or at least what Kyle Shanahan likes to do is eat up defenses over the middle, and that feeds into Brock Purdy's strengths. Now, the big X factor here is Minka Fitzpatrick. He what, led the NFL in interceptions last year, six picks, um, one of, if not the best safety in football, and truly can take away the middle of the field if asked to. Um, but this is the issue. You take away Debo, you take away Kittle, here's Christian McCaffrey. Um, I don't think there's really another dynamic player in the NFL like Christian McCaffrey. He's a top five runner in football, and he really is a bona fide slot receiver playing running back. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that if he goes for a thousand a thousand this year he's so good he can be a dark horse mvp candidate um but it does feel like where if you're a defense and you have debo samuel circled or george Kittle circled you still have to also circle kyle shanahan he sets up defenses the best of any other offensive coordinator besides andy reed in football uh, he'll give you a power run for one yard just to give you a play action for 15 yards later in the game um he's always two or three plays ahead and while you know, having these weapons helps. It's not like Kyle Shanahan hasn't had George Kittle break the single receiving touchdown or yard record for a tight end with Nick Mullins playing quarterback. He's done a lot and hurt a lot of defenses with a lot less. And so if you're asking me, you know, how does the defense stop the Niners offense? Um, that's a question people much smarter than me still can't answer. Sterling Bennett of 95.7 The Game in the Bay Area covers the 49ers. 49ers Access is the podcast 
you can get his insight there uh, once you're done listening to Fourth Down in the Steel City, obviously. But let me ask you this. <laughs> you, you, you brought up the idea of, of Shanahan sort of just using George Kittle to take bites out of the Steelers' defense, you know, maybe seven, eight yards at a time. We've seen that for, I don't know, decades now. The Steelers struggling to corral tight ends who can run like receivers and block at times like, well, tight ends. Um, what is the plan, though, if, let's say, T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, uh, Alex Highsmith, force Purdy into those, this is the, a, a catchphrase now, off-platform moments. Um, if Purdy gets on the move, because I thought it was interesting, Robert Griffin III was on, I believe, Kevin Clark's podcast on The Ringer today and talked at length about how Shanahan prefers to have a quarterback who colors within the numbers. Um, if, Pur- if Purdy is forced to color outside the numbers on Sunday, is, is that, I guess, the key to causing hiccups in this Niners offense? Well, what Pittsburgh can do that many other defenses can't do, or at least hasn't tried to do, is they have T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith, Alex Highsmith excuse me, two of the best edge rushers duos in football, but also both those guys can drop back into coverage and give Brock Purdy different looks as to, okay, you think Watt's coming at you, but he's back guarding George Kittle or whatnot or guarding Christian McCaffrey. Um, I think Pittsburgh has the opportunity to almost manipulate Brock Purdy's eyes like he would try to do for them. Uh, but for Brock Purdy, when it comes to the off-schedule stuff, I'm sure you guys watched the playoffs last year. He's running from all the way to one hash to the second hash to finding Brandon Ayuk in the end zone uh, for a drop touchdown. So I don't think it's necessarily worried about Brock Purdy if the off-schedule play has to happen or you know, if someone's in his face, can he evade pressure and find the next play? The beautiful thing is, is that they have the best checkdown player in football where if there is pressure, he's going to find Christian McCaffrey for you know a two-yard dump-off pass that'll go for 10 yards in a first down. Sterling, you talked about the Steelers having such a great duo of rush ends. Well, that pair of tackles in San Francisco wasn't too bad either <laughs> last season. I mean, we're we're talking about all these weapons on offense. They may have the best offensive lineman in all of football in Trent Williams. I mean, that man is just absolutely phenomenal. But on the other side of him last season was Mike McGlinchey, and he was a the guy they used a top-10 pick on, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. when they first brought him in. He moves on to Denver. He goes and gets paid to play for Denver. What does it look like now as far as that transition? Because you're going from talking about one of the best pairs of tackles in football to one of those guys leaving. How do the 49ers move on with that transition without Mike McGlinchey? If there is one position battle you point to in this game on Sunday and say, this is where the San Francisco 49ers might get beaten, where Pittsburgh can kind of annihilate their offensive line, that is right tackle. Colton McKivitz, who was not even told he was the starting tackle until after the NFL draft. Um, he had a good camp, held up strong in preseason, but uh, he hasn't played Nick Bosa the entirety of the offseason, and he's going to go out there and play against TJ Watt and Highsmith, who are, again, a top three defensive end duo in football. Uh, we're talking about a former defensive player of the year against your, you know, your backup right tackle now going to play and start for you the entirety of the season. Um, <laughs> really what it comes down to is that Trent Williams is going to be fine. Aaron Banks is going to be fine. But when you point at right tackle, you say – and. Thankfully, it's Brock Purdy's strong side, not his weak side behind him, where you can see the play forming in front of him. But my goodness, uh, if T.J. Watt wants to have himself a game, uh, this is a game to do it because Colton McKivitz, we don't even know what he is yet, and that's kind of scary for us. Uh, McGlinchey not being the best pass-blocking tackle but a really good run blocker. McKivitz, he's a big question mark this year, and San Francisco is hoping uh, he comes out and proves their gamble worth the risk. But if he doesn't, 
there's no depth behind these guys. Jalen Moore, Matt Pryor, we saw him in Indianapolis last year. He's a big reason why they were not good uh, with their starting offensive line. So if someone goes down or McKinney struggles, um, we could really see a run-heavy scheme or a much bigger quick passing game uh, from Kyle Shanahan on Sunday. Before we let you run, Sterling, i got to ask you, um, first of all, do you think it's strange at all that the Niners are favored by two and a half coming into this thing? What's your prediction for this game? And then, moreover, it's it's that time of year where everybody makes their season-long predictions, too. So we got to ask you, what's your view of the Niners this year? Shoe-ins to win the West? Or are they going to get a fight from Seattle uh, once they get to the playoffs? What are the expectations out there in the Bay Area? But let's start with Sunday specifically. Yeah, I think with San Francisco knowing they were three and five two years ago to start their year, then four and four last year, they notoriously started slow the past two seasons. Uh, getting Bosa back has pushed their favorites from or the odds from you know, favored by two to two and a half. So they're getting half a point because Nick Bosa is back on the field on Sunday. Um, I would still tend to lean with this being a loss on San Francisco's behalf. It's a big test early. A, a Mike Tomlin led defense that wants to attack. They're ferocious and they're going to be ready. It's a young offense that wants to prove themselves in a very tough AFC North. You have the Cleveland Browns who want to bounce back. You have Joe Burrow and the Bengals, probably one of the best teams in football. And you have the Ravens who have retooled their entire offense. Um, Pittsburgh wants to make a statement. Uh, San Francisco needs to continue to improve. They should be the NFC favorite. And I would not be surprised if we're in for a slugfest on Sunday. I think Pittsburgh wins this game probably by about you know, six points, maybe 26, 20, or, you know, 24 to 17, whatever it might be. It's going to be a slugfest to this hunting or wanting to hunt defenses uh, on the field on Sunday. And whether it's Heinz field or whatever you guys call it now, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some fake catch up, some blood on that field when it's all said and done. Chris still calls it Heinz field. You're fine, Sterling. No, that, yep. That's what I call it. <laughs> Good man. Good man. So real, real quick, so what, what do you think for the Niners? And what are the expectations out there this year? Well, this year, it's very much Super Bowl or bust. We've been in the NFC Championship game or better the past three or four seasons. Um, every time Nick Bosa has played a full year, we've been in the NFC Championship game. He's just signed a five-year extension. So the hope and the idea is that if Brock Purdy was healthy last year, we would have been there again. And with Brock Purdy hopefully improving, I think a lot of the conversation around him kind of neglects that side of he's in year two. He'll get a full season under his belt, second year in the offense. Why can't he play better? And really, we have no idea what he'll be out here. We're hoping he can be the franchise guy. But right now, this is, you know, you need to be in the NFC Championship game. We're hoping it's against Philadelphia again to kind of get some revenge on them. But I would say 11-6, and six, win the NFC West. Seattle probably gets nine wins this year. And we're fighting for being that final four once again when it's all said and done in February, hopefully. Great stuff, Sterling. Uh, looking forward to seeing the rest of what you have this week leading up to kickoff on Sunday. 49ers underscore access on Twitter. You can also search 49ers access in YouTube to get Sterling stuff or just go to 95.7 The Game inside your Odyssey app. He covers pre and post for the Niners for 95.7 The Game in the Bay Area. Thanks so much, man. We really appreciate you making the time today. Yeah, thank you guys so much and uh, looking forward to Sunday and well, I hope San Francisco wins. Uh, Pittsburgh should have a good season in store for them. Great stuff from Sterling. I told you all the places you can catch him. 95.7 The Game inside your Odyssey app, our sister station out in Frisco. No one calls it Frisco, though, Josh. Like, no, they hate calling it Frisco. They, they don't like that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's 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 no go. Um, they'll they'll tell like, you Frisco is in Texas. They'll they'll tell you that in a second because there is a town in Texas called Frisco. Called Frisco, and, Texas, right? 
I'm trying to remember. There's one of the major league teams. Their double A team is in Frisco. It's either Houston or it might be the Rangers. I can't remember. Yeah, well, they have a double A team in Frisco in the Texas League. So, yeah, no, that, little, that's a little trivia there. Don't don't call it Frisco. It's San. Don't call Francisco. it Frisco. I hate it. Uh, I don't know. It, it, interesting thought there. I'm not as high on the Niners season long as Sterling was. We talked about this when we did our predictions uh, late last week. I, I think they're going to have some struggles, especially with Purdy quarterback. But as he alluded to, if you want a stiff test to start the year, bring in a young quarterback who may not be the best on the move and let him go up against T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith to open the season. I'm glad he brought up Colton McKivitz because that's the question mark that I have. It's, it's not like we're talking about Trent Williams dealing with T.J. Watt. Trent Williams is going to deal with, right. with Alex Highsmith. That's fine. Colton McKivitz is T.J. Watt. That, that's that's the tough draw in my book. If I'm looking at Trent Williams and Colton McKivitz, and they're, if you're like drawing straws, Colton McKivitz is holding the short one because he's going to deal with T.J. Watt, and that's not easy. And it's not just because of T.J. Watt's impact as a pass rusher. It's about what he can do when he doesn't get to the quarterback. He can get his hands up. He can knock passes down. We've seen him just go up and intercept passes just out of the quarterback's hands. We've seen him do that, and he makes it look really easy. And it's kind of not fair how he does that. So Colton McKibbins has to deal with a guy that not only might be able to beat him physically and get to the quarterback, but also still beat him and take the ball out of the quarterback's hands even if he doesn't get there. That is a really tough draw, and you got to deal with other guys past him the rest of the season moving forward, I think losing Mike McGlinchey is a big blow to them. And he talked about how good of a run blocker Mike McGlinchey is. And like I said before, he was a top 10 pick when San Francisco got him back in the draft when they first brought him in. So not just from a Brock Purdy standpoint, but from a run game standpoint, San Francisco might have some issues. I don't think their offensive line is going to be as good as it was last year when they had one of the best pairs of tackles. I think that's a problem for them. I'm with you. I think they can be good. I think they will start the season with some issues, although the schedule this season does favor them a bit. Being in the NFC West favors them because I think the Rams are down. I think the Cardinals, oh my God, like let's not even start. You know, it's bad when the Heisman, when the Heisman winner from last year is already talking about, hey, I might not necessarily go with the draft this year. You you don't need to draft me. You don't need to draft me. I'm good. Basically, he's telling you Arizona, don't even try it. Like he's Eli Manning and John Elwaying them for those who who get the reference. He's already letting it be known, hey, don't even look in this direction. That's how bad Arizona is. But By that the helps the 49ers. I get to Arizona, it will be never. <laughs> Public exactly. enemy kids, look it up. Um, exactly. I love that. So, so let's put the chess pieces out of the board. We'll do that next. And we'll ask ourselves, if we're the Niners, how do we attack the Steelers on both sides of the ball? We do that next alongside Josh Taylor. I'm Chris Mack. This is 4th Down in the Steel City.